Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us on our 95th episode of the podcast. Which is still pretty wild to say, but the 95th episode is pretty awesome. We get a chance to talk to Frank Leone. Frank Leone is the head coach at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Former head coach at Marymount. In his first year, he's trying to turn things around like he's done so at numerous spots that he's been at. Uh, at Marymount, they've uh, four seasons with 21, 21s or more. Atlantic East Conference champion. Been the NCAA High Point Regional. They were the Atlantic East Coaching Staff of the Year Award. Six years in a row, they won the ABCA Academic Excellence Award at Marymount. Former head coach at William & Mary. He averaged 28 victories a year with a top mark of 36. He had 14 players drafted by Major League Clubs during his time at William & Mary. He was also the head coach at Rhode Island, took a program from two-win team in 94 to back-to-back 30-win seasons by the end of his tenure. In 2010, he was inducted in the Rhode Island Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame. 2015, he was the Martha Vineyard Sharks Co-Manager of the Year. They play now, then was the Futures Collegiate League, now the New England League, where they was co-manager and league champs. He's led all those three programs for a combined total wins of nearly 600 wins at 596. He's a servant leader. He builds communities up around him, and he helps grow young men, as you'll hear on this episode, where he continues to give tangible ideas, tangible things that he does to build cultures, you know, tangible things to help build the skill sets and changing behaviors as he continues to build programs. We discussed a ton of things from his core values, how those things were done coming into the program, coming into the mounts, to where they're trying to, what their practices look like, and how they are in the, in the community, doing their seven days of service, doing their, their merit system, and a ton of other things that I just want to get right into because he just does a great job, uh, have a great conversation, learned a ton, um, inspired me to think about how I was doing things and what uh, different leadership, and he talked about individual leadership and leadership at every level um, and how they're building that. So um, did a great job with that and uh, really thankful and, and think you're gonna, I'd really enjoy this conversation. So please enjoy. Get your notes ready for Coach Frank Leone of Mount St. Mary's. You know, obviously what's concerning is that the, the program has, you know, struggled you know, over the last, I guess, 10 years or so. Right. And I knew we would have this core group of guys that would be returning this year. And one of the things in my experience at URI at William and Mary, and then building Marymount, well, not so much building the Marymount program, I guess more URI and William and Mary is that when guys are uh, beaten down and there's this culture of acceptance of losing and maybe it's not so much acceptance like the guys are just okay with losing but there's this acceptance of well this is the way it it's always been here we go again you know that kind of stuff that that creeps in um and i know it's really hard to overcome you can have the most talented group in the world but if they have this lack of confidence this this uh dark cloud if you will hanging over them that they they just no matter what they do it's not going to be good enough to overcome and 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 win at a high level win on a consistent level um i knew that would be very difficult and challenging to to kind of get going now 
what, what, how do I gauge where we are now? I also knew that the guys here in this program, at least from my knowledge, and you know, one of the first things I did, Trey, when I got the job, was I interviewed every returning player, every one of them. I gave them a list of 10 questions um, ranging from things just to try to get to know them to what their thoughts were on the program. Why is the program struggling? What do you think you do well? What do you think we can do better? Stuff like that. And in those conversations, you know, you know, you, you, you hear this overwhelming um, theme of not good enough. We're not good enough. We, we, um, they, they, their self-worth was devalued, stuff like that, which is, you know, doesn't surprise me. You know, when you only win in nine games a season, you know, anybody that wants to say, and I, I always say this too, Trey, like anybody that wants to say, you know, your identity is not a baseball player, your identity as a per well, they're full of baloney. I mean, a big part of your identity, my identity is baseball. This is what we do. This is what we live and breathe, right? This is our lives. And it's the same for the, for the kids that we coach. Okay. It is a big part of their identity. At the end of the day, we don't want them to be feel devalued as a human being, but to, to, to ignore the fact that baseball is a big part of their identity, I think is foolish. So it didn't surprise me to hear these types of things coming from the players. So I knew that was going to be a challenge. So the other thing with bringing in as many new players as we did since July 1st, we brought in 10 new players um, for this for this year. Now, these guys have no idea what our system is. Right. And then and the returning players have no idea what our system is. Plus, they've been beaten down. So I knew that was going to be a huge challenge to try to pull it together and make it look like something. So as we went through the fall, the way the practices went, you know, they were, they were sometimes, you know, you had some guys with their, you know, their mouths open a little bit. Other times they were super crisp. They got better and better and better and guys listened and they learned and they soaked things up. It was really cool to watch. And then I watched the guys mesh together. I was really worried, Trey. I was really worried about this, that the guys that we brought in July 1st, the returning players would look at them as, oh, this is Coach Leone just bringing in these guys and these are going to be all his pets and these are going to be the guys that he's going to gravitate towards and he's going to forget about the rest of us because they had that devalued mindset already, right? It wasn't that way. These guys saw that we we looked at everybody, you know, uh, equally and fairly and we were evaluating and we were trying to coach guys Everybody, the same. We were trying to coach everybody up, not the same necessarily instruction, but trying to give them the same fair amount of attention as anybody else. And I think that was really cool to watch the guys that had no concept of what the Mount was about and guys that we had, they, they weren't even thinking about the Mount before July 1st. Now they're integrating really well with the guys that have already been here. And the guys that were already here it really made me feel really good about where we're going because I could see how hungry they were for this change, how hungry they are. They're done with it. They're done with being, you know, the doormat and being the team that everybody, you know, whispers about behind their backs. They're done with that stuff. Um, so they were really ready to commit themselves to something new and different. Um, and so, that's where I was. I was wasn't sure. Right. I wasn't sure how this was going to happen. I wasn't sure how long it would take. Um, and 
as I just said to you earlier, you know, the proof's still in the in the pudding at this point, right? We're, we're, we've only gotten through a fall season. The falls, it's a little bit easier in the fall, no matter what team it is, no matter what year it is, because everybody plays in the fall, right? Everybody gets their opportunities in the fall. So once we, the, the line starts getting drawn in the sand a little bit more in the spring, you know, then things could change a little bit. However, where we are at this point, I thought this this point probably would need some of the spring stuff, some of the adversity of going through that line in the sand before guys could get over things and move on. So I'm really pleased with these guys and how they've taken, how they've meshed together, how they've accepted one another. We just did. So one of the things we do, and we'll, we'll talk about this as part of the culture, I guess, we do peer, I call peer reviews. At the end of the fall season, at the end of the semester, I send out basically a survey to the entire group of players and coaches, and I have them rank everybody position by position. Um, and then I also have them rank everybody based on how well people are committed to our team values. And it really is um, a pretty cool thing to see how guys are viewing each other um, and viewing how this team is coming along. I also have them pick our, our Cy Young of the fall, our team MVP, our, our rookie of the fall. And then I also asked them for, okay, if you were to choose now, who would be your, your three top captain choices to the team? And as you can imagine, right, that the, the responses are, are, they vary a little bit, right? But you can see this common thread of guys are paying attention. They've seen how people are, are practicing. They see how guys are committed in the weight room. They see how they're committed off the field to academics and all that. And you can see it coming together. Um, so those are the reasons why I feel good about where we are right now. Um, but we're still, man, we're still a work in progress. We've got a long way to go. Um, but definitely would rather be in this position than where I thought we would be, which is still trying to figure out, you know, have guys try to figure out and, and maybe be resistant to a new system and a new culture. I wonder if even like COVID and, you know, the short season, things like that. I wonder if that even helps you. Is it kind of like, you know, with almost being really brand new and almost and everybody's kind of getting back into swing of things. Um, but I love that, like, because uh, Ron Eastman, a guy, uh, coach I've had on, phenomenal coach. He does this thing called, like, as you see it, which is kind of like what you were talking about there. Like, how do you guys see this? Do you have them rank, like, is it uh, when you say, you say, oh, just according to your values, do you also rank, like, you know, your top so many pitchers, your top hitters, or is it just like, here's the best one? Yeah, no, we rank. So, what I did was, for instance, for starting pitchers, what we felt like as a coaching staff is we have eight candidates that could be starting pitchers on this team. So I just list all eight and then they rank them from one to eight, one being the best eight being the, the least in their minds. Did the same kind of thing for relief pitchers position by position all the way around. Once they got to the position players, they're ranking them not only on their offensive capabilities, but their defensive capabilities, base running. I told them to take into account every part of their skill set. Um, and then also, I, again, I said, even at those positions, whether it be pitching or position player, also take into account how you feel they are uh, committed to the team and to, to our, our overall mission as a, as a group. And then separately, I had them rank from one through 36, mm. every player on the team 
in their commitment to what we call ACCGL, and that stands for accountability, commitment, courage, grit, and loyalty. Um, those are our five core team values, and I have them re- rank it all. And it's it's really interesting, and you start really see the guys that that are at the top of that list almost correlate one for one with the guys that they chose for the captains. Sure. Because with the captains. I didn't put any choices on there. They could have chose whoever they wanted on the team. And the guys that got the most votes, I'm pretty sure it correlated like 95% with the guys that were at the top of the ACCGL. ACCGL. Nice. How did you come up with ACCGL? What's your process doing that? So we, we, over, over the course of many years, um, we've had different team meetings uh, talking about what, what do we value? Like what's most important to us? What do we want to be known as? What do you want other people to look at us and say, this is who they are. Okay. This is what we, we project out to the, to the world. Um, And so it really came about, I think at Marymount, um, some of these, Values were certainly ingrained in at the URI program and, and at William and Mary, but it and this is part of what I was going to tell you. We've taken more intentional steps once we got to Marymount to really these intangibles, right? The culture, the the, the chemistry, it's so intangible. How do you how, how can you get your fingers on it, right? So we, I read a bunch of books and listened to a lot of speakers as you have and every other good coach has ever listened to. And you start to think about how can I formulate this in a way to pull it out? So we had team meetings and these were the five core values. I think we started with four and then uh, courage was added as a fifth. Um, and so what what they meant to everybody, you know, with, with accountability and commitment, accountability and commitment can almost be there's crossovers right in between some of these values as well. And so. Um, these are the ones that we felt like were most important. So honestly, when we got here, we haven't gotten to that meeting yet at the mountain because I felt like these guys really needed to understand what it was before they could participate. Same thing we did at Marymount. Like we didn't come out year one right out of the gate and say, okay, let's have a team meeting and talk about what our values are. 24 freshmen weren't going to know. They, they don't know enough at that point to understand what's most important for a successful baseball program. So I waited a few years. And we'll, we'll wait a little while longer here at the Mount. Maybe we'll do it in the spring. There may be a time when we need to interject and say, okay, do we need to have another conversation about this to see what's more important in this situation versus somewhere else? But so far, Trey, they have, they have gravitated to it. So the ACCGL is just a way I told them this is an acronym for you to remember our values. So when you're walking around on New Year's Eve and you're going out, you should ha- you should have these values in your mind and and that you are are part of something greater than just yourself. Um, and, and that's really how it came about. Um, I should mention that we also have five core team principles, too. And I don't know if you want me to just roll those off to you, um, but they are process before before results, quality over quantity, everything with a purpose, be able to teach what you learn and always compete. And so, for instance, on New Year's Eve, right, I tell them all the time, well, the night before a game, they decide to go tie, a, tie one on at the local bar down the road. I said, you have a purpose behind that when you do that. OK, what is your purpose? Your purpose is to go and get loaded the night before a game. So if that's your purpose, then how does that fit into the five values? 
we're, we're trying to say everything we do has a purpose. So, you know, and the guy can't answer that question. It's really helped, helped me also to kind of have those difficult conversations, you know, that will happen um, over time. And I, I gave you an extreme one, right. With a guy, get loaded the night before a game because that, that doesn't happen that often. But but still the point the point is made, right? That yeah. you're gonna have some difficult conversations with some guys. And oftentimes it comes down to guys not upholding these principles and values. And you can really it it, it gives you direction in those conversations and it gives your team overall direction on, on where we're going. Like this this is this is the foundation. This is where we start. And here's how we build you know, build out from there. So that's really where it came from. So you said your team principles, right? Are the five team principles, correct? Five core principles. Yep. Five core principles. So what's it, can you explain like in your definition of the differences between the core values and the core principles? So I think the principles um, are almost more action statements if you think about it and the values are what are reflected in those principles, if that makes sense, that's the way I kind of look at it, you know? So for instance, process before results, we want the guys to be on a journey of trying to get better. Just keep trying to improve as both a baseball player and a human being every day. And the results are going to follow, right? Um, quality over quantity, right? So they, they're, they're thinking about how do I get quality reps, not necessarily go out and get, you know, 100 reps, 100 BP, BP swings, if 50 of them are going to be dog, you know what, right? I'd rather than just take 50 really good ones and get the heck out of the cage, right? So it's all about actions and how they're going about it. So we can go through the rest of them, but you get my point. Mm -hmm. um, those are more action statements. And then the values are reflected in that with what they're doing. Okay. So then how, uh, what, what do you, you know, cause if, as you're building this culture, you know, and then what are you, cause we all know we have to live each day. And like, I, I think what you talked earlier about, like the shame, that that's a habit, like losing because of habit and you're trying to build better habits, basically just building these different behaviors. You're trying to change behavior and so uh, creating better habits. So what are the things that you are highlighting each day or how do you, do you highlight the principles each day or do you highlight the values or is it a, a, a little bit of both? Like what are you doing to then highlight those things and showing those guys that they are buying into and doing the things that you want them to be doing? Yeah. So the overall theme Trey is servant leadership, you know, and the more we've got, and I think this is the thing that I was most concerned about with this adjustment period with the new program is getting these guys on board with a servant's mentality. The more they have the servant's mentality, the more all these other things kind of fall into place. So that's the one thing we harp on constantly. OK. Um, and, you know, kind of segueing a little bit into I, it's funny. So, so I get this. This will be good. Good conversation for you, I think. I created a merit system. OK, it's another part of our culture. It's really important. I don't remember if we talked about this um, that that. Mm -hmm. that I don't think we did. I think we talked about the seven days of service, but we didn't talk. About we did. The, yeah, we didn't talk about the merit system. So here's a funny story for you. About my, my second year at Marymount, I went into North Carolina, just over the Virginia line, down by Danville, Virginia, okay. just over the line. And I went recruiting on my way back. I'm driving through these country roads. I don't even know where I was at this point. 
Um, the, the speed limit was going from 30 to 40 to 50 to 30 to 40 to 50. It was going all over the place. Right. So apparently I must have been in one of the zones where it was 30 and a sheriff's deputy was going the opposite direction and he spun around and came and got me, pulled me over. And he gave me a ticket and I said, no way. I am not. I, I told him, I said, you know, I'm a coach recruiting and I don't know where I am and I'm not familiar with these roads. He didn't want to hear it. You know, he, he, he's issuing his ticket, doing his job. And that's the end of it. So I decided there's no way I'm getting this ticket. So I decided to go back to fight it in court, which was in Charlotte courthouse, Virginia. Have you ever been there before? No, it is. So let me just, this, this will explain it to you. I pull up to the courthouse and I literally opened the door to the courthouse. It was the courthouse from my cousin, Vinny. <laughs> exactly. Like literally you open the door and you are in the courthouse. Uh -huh. A sheriff's deputy comes up to me and says, what are you here for? I showed him the paper. He goes, all right, sit over there and no talking. That's basically the kind of situation, right? <laughs> so long story short, the judge says to me, he says, okay. And he looks at my driving record, which was very good. You know, I, I had the highest amount of uh, points on my license and all that. And he's talking to the sheriff that pulled me over. He asked him how I was. He said, oh, he was very respectful. He was, he was fine. And he goes, okay, how would you like to get this off expunged from your record, Mr. Leone? Would you like to do driving school? And I'm like, yes, this is why I came here, right? I'm figuring he's going to give me this nice little cush, little online course, be done with it in no time. Eight hours in person, you have to go one day, right? So he goes, you just have to go somewhere to a certified driving, uh, driving course. So I had to go in person one day for eight hours. I'm in this, this hotel room, hotel conference room in Fredericksburg, Virginia, with I think there were like 20 other people that day, most of which were about 18 or 19 years old, gotten their mm -hmm. first tickets and they had first, you know, speeding ticket had to go. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I got a gun to my head, like, you know, <laughs> get me out of here right now. Right. So at one point during the, the conversation, during the class that day, the instructor starts to talk about how the DMV keeps track of points on your license. And I already knew this, but as he's talking, I'm like, that's it. I've been looking for something, something that we, we can use to quantify behavior. Mm -hmm. This is it. I whipped out a pad tray. I'm taking notes down in the middle of this class. He, he must've been looking at me going, this dude's like 40 something years old. He doesn't know him that the DMV keeps track of points on his license, but that's what the merits. I still have the notes. That's where the merit system was built. And that was where it was born. So essentially the way the merit system works for our players is that they each, and I'm, by the way, I'm an accounting major undergrad. So there you I'm go. A, you know, numbers guy. Oh, yeah. um, so I keep a, a, a basically an Excel sheet for each player and they have a, like their own general ledger, right? And on one side of that ledger, they can earn points. And on the other side of the ledger, they can lose points. Okay. Um, now, here's the key. Everything is tied to playing time. So, for instance, in the spring, they have to maintain a plus seven or higher balance in their merit account to be eligible to play in any games. If they dip below it, they don't, they're not going to play in the game. And I, honestly, I don't care if you're my number one pitcher or you're my cleanup hitter. You know you have to stay above this threshold, right? So it's a real motivator for these guys, and it gets them into this servant mindset more and more. So how do they earn points, right? There's basically three ways they can earn points. 
academic performance. So we're looking for high academic performance. And if you know anything about our Marymount teams, we went six, six straight years. So the ABCA came out with an academic excellent team, academic excellence. Yeah. I think it was six years ago when they came out with it. We won it six years in a row at Marymount. And we just, and I'll just tell you that at, at Mount St. Mary's, we just got a three, two, seven fall GPA as a team. Okay. So it does work, right? So academics is the first one. If they get a great academic report, if they bring it to me, I give them a plus one. At the end of every semester, if their GPA, I, I award points based on GPAs too. So if they're 3.0 or higher, they get a certain amount of points based on their GPA. If they make Dean's list, they're going to get like a plus three for that. Okay. That's one way. The next way is by service, by service hours, right? So any community service they do, for every two hours that they do, they get one point for that, okay? And then the third way is any other positive cultural contribution they make to our team. This has nothing to do with, you know, getting three, you know, three hits, two doubles, driving in six runs, has nothing to do with baseball performance, but it does have to do with attitude performance on the baseball field or a way you pick up a teammate, or if you're somebody that, typically has temper tantrum issues and you throw helmets, but now you're making improvements on that and you're not doing that stuff anymore. I'll wait and get the whole team around and recognize that player in front of the whole team and say, Hey, I saw the umpire hosed you twice today and you kept it together and you just kept playing. I'm giving you a plus two for that. And you might think, well, geez, like what's the big deal? It's like a badge of honor for these guys. Okay. To be recognized in that way. And then to have, points affixed to it. Okay. So how do they get the merits, right? If they're late, if they're, you know, late with, with things, if they get bad academic reports, you know, any other kind of off the field trouble that guys may get in, you know, they'll get the merits for stuff like that. Okay. Um, I think I said it was a plus seven in the spring and the fall. They start, I give them a plus one to start each new year. It doesn't roll over into the new, you know, into another academic year. It mm -hmm. rolls over from the fall to the spring. So when they okay. start next fall, they start back at a plus one again, as long as they stay in a plus balance in the fall, they're eligible all fall because, you know, obviously they haven't had enough time to earn the points yet. Okay. And here's the cool, cool thing with this. Okay, so it's not only about the playing time, but I also did this a few years back. I went ahead and I every so often I just send them a copy of the balances, every player from top to bottom. Don't tell them how they got there, but where they stand. And you're sitting at a plus one and I'm sitting at a plus two. Next thing I know, you come in my office and say, oh, hell no, he's not staying ahead of me on that list. Coach, I'm going to do four hours of community service this week to get two more points to move ahead of you on the list. And it happens all the time. Or guys will come to me with more academic reports. They know they got a test or a paper or something coming up and they make sure they bring it to me to, to, to get more points. It's, it's incredible. You know, the, I don't know if you knew this, but the DMV, I think caps you at like a plus three. Hmm. Um, I used to cap this thing. I don't cap it anymore. And it's because of this, this competition. These guys are all competitors. And again, principle number five, always compete. It keeps them in that mindset. They're always trying to do more. 
more and more and more to try to elevate themselves within the marriage system. I'm telling you, it's been the greatest thing that I've ever come up with. I don't care. You, you talk about baseball instruction, any little things I put. This by far is the greatest thing I've ever come up with because it, it gets everybody in that servant mindset. What can I do to contribute positively back to the team? Mm. I, I guess, I guess for me as a coach, uh, looking at and looking at doing these things is how do you manage all those, you know, especially with 30 some close to 40 players, how are you managing that all the time? That's, that's, I'm sure it's pretty challenging. Each in terms of like the different things that come up along. Yeah, time. just yeah. And, you know, you're and you're managing all the different points. Are you keeping them on your phone? Then having to go at night to kind of tally them all up? Are you writing them down? Are you, I mean, I'm sure just the whole management of it um, yeah. can be a challenge. Or you probably have done. How have you? How has that changed you over the years? Of just being able to manage that whole ledger for yourself. Yeah. Well, and, and this is one of the things I probably should have mentioned at the beginning too. And I say this to, I, I tell recruits about this when they come yeah. to visit too. I want them to know, you know, what they're getting themselves into, but um, I don't walk around with a clipboard all day long saying, Hey, you did this wrong, right, you right. Did that wrong. You did it. We want to catch people in good acts, but you're right. There is a management piece to it. The assistant coaches definitely help. They all have the, if they see things worthy of merits or demerits, they have the right to, to send that to me. Um, and they do help, you know, like for all the, the seven days of service events we do for all that community service, one of the coaches, one of the assistant coaches is responsible for tracking all of that. And at the end of the event, he sends me all the, the merit points that should be awarded for that. And then okay. I just go ahead and just enter it into the Excel sheet. It really, you know, it's it's not that much. And honestly, it's time well spent because this is a way that your guys know principle number one, they are going to be held accountable, you know, and principle number, um, sorry, I said, I don't know if I said principle, but a uh, value number one accountability, but principle number uh, three, everything with a purpose, right? They know that these things are important to them. And now they just get themselves into this mindset and it's stuff that they're living day after day. You asked me earlier, what things do we stress every day? Well, these things, we talk about them constantly, but a lot of times they kind of take care of themselves. Once you get, once the players understand how things are going to run within the program, they understand how to stay with within the guidelines of the program. And then they start to see that there's a lot of value to it. And there's a lot of um, it gives them the structure that they, they so want. And it also gives them direction and then they understand what's expected of them. You know, the standards that, that they're, they're, they're expected to uphold. So um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's been a game changer for, for us and for our program. And, you know, the guys know, like if they if they fall below that plus seven, I mean, they find out really quickly if they're below it and then they are they're doing anything they can to kind of get back above board, you know. And, and here's the other thing. And I didn't mention this and I should have. This isn't just an accountability thing. This is also a way for these guys to atone. Right. So like when you and I were kids and we played in college or played in high school, whatever, if we messed up, what did our coach make us do? He put us in the line. He made us run sprints, right? He made us run sprints till, till we puked, right? And, and I used to do that all the time, too, as a coach. And what I was finding is that this negative reinforcement is not working. So, yeah, there's a negative piece to it with the demerits, but there's always the positive with it, right? They can always do something to redeem themselves. They can, there's, a, there's, 
this opportunity to give back and to atone for a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. It gives them an opportunity to do something. So I ask you this, and I always say this to kids. When you were a young kid and your coach made you run until you puked, how many times you walk up to your coach afterwards and pat him on the back and say, thanks, coach. I got a, I really learned something from that. I got something out of it. I feel a lot better about this. No, you probably were muttering under your breath something about him. And I'm not looking for, you know, for everyone to be my buddy. But at the same time, I want them to feel like they know I care and I'm trying to give them something of value and I'm trying to help them be better people. And I know that's what our coaches were trying to do for us too. And I'm not saying there's, there's no re negative reinforcement, but, but man, we, we haven't had to have guys do any negative reinforcement running in years. We just haven't had to because they buy into this stuff and the guys that buy in, you can tell too, right? Trey, when you look at this list and you see where guys balances are, even guys that are just hovering around that plus seven, you know, those are your guys that do the bare minimum. Right, It shows itself right there on the paper. Right. And then you've got guys that are up like plus 20, plus 25. Those are guys that really want to give back. The other thing it does for your guys that aren't necessarily going to be your top on field performers, it still gives them a real way to contribute back to the program where they feel like they're doing something to help the team be successful. So it, it, it has so many benefits to it. Um, and anybody that will listen to me, I would I would tell them install this into your program and then you will sleep at night. Yeah. And I love that. It's about guys that don't play all the time. It definitely gives them a big value, you know, um, for, for, for sure. Uh, will you, in terms of, you know, is it all individually based? Do you do any kind of team competitions? You know, some people call them boat crews uh, to kind of, again, reiterate a lot of these things, bring in some competition in terms of groups. Yeah. Yeah. So, we do, we do two team comps, but l let me talk about the seven days of service real quick. And how oh, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. 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 So the seven days of service that was born uh, probably about five or six years ago. Um, and essentially I, I read this book um, and it was called a leader in every locker. And uh, I'm drawing a blank at the gentleman's name. I do this every time I talk about it, but doctor, I believe his last name is Ellis. Um, it was a tremendous breakthrough book. And essentially the, the, the thought process in the book is that you need leadership from every level within your program. It can't just be your seniors and your juniors. You've got to get some leadership from your sophomores and your freshmen, albeit not the same level of leadership as the older guys that have been around a little bit, but you still need to have it regardless. And so we were struggling at that point with a little bit of, of player leadership um, and so I was trying to find a way of how can we can we develop some better leaders, too? So how do we wrap this into our servant mindset? And so with the seven days of service, what it is essentially is seven different team community service events that we run. And we so if we have a roster of 35 players, there'll be five players assigned to each one of the events. And those five players are responsible for organizing and conducting the event. OK, everybody, the entire team will participate in each one of the seven events um, for the most part. There may be a couple exceptions there, but the five players that are on that team are responsible. So I'll have a senior, junior, sophomore, freshman. You know, there'll be guys from every class on each one of the events. 
and they're all responsible for some piece of that um, operational component to, to that event. And where guys learn some adversity, they learn teamwork, they learn, um, you know, how to give direction, stuff like that, that, you know, it doesn't come natural for everybody, you know, like we, we just expect that our seniors are all of a sudden, they just are going to know how to lead. Well, this gives them some practice, some real practice in how to do that. Um, and it's really worked. We, we have seen, and we do some debriefs afterwards. We haven't done them this year, um, quite honestly, but we typically do a debrief where I give the guys a questionnaire and ask them like what went well during it, you know, how could they improve their leadership? What adversity did they face? How did they handle it? Stuff like that. Um, so it's been a really good pro a project for us. And, and, you know, I think at Marymount, we were, we were averaging just over 1100, um, community service hours per year. We just tallied it up here at the Mount. Of course we had more players at Marymount too. Uh, but here at the Mount, I think we just calculated and we still have have to calculate two more events, but I think we're at like 750 hours already of community service this fall. Mm. So, um, again, these guys, they get it after a, a while. Right. Um, so that's the seven days of service. You asked me about team comps. So at the end of the fall season, we get into the, you know, get into the off season, we break up into four teams at this point. And then we do, we play, uh, competitions, um, and this may not, not have been exactly what you were asking me, but we do all non-baseball competitions. So we started with two-hand touch football. Um, we did soccer. We played dodgeball. We played ultimate football. Um, we played team handball, our version of team handball. Um, so we had some different events that we did. And essentially what it was was an hour a day two games that were a half hour a piece where team one played team four, two played three. And then the winners played each other. The losers played each other. We kept standings all year. And then on the last day of team comps, we had our playoffs. Um, and we had pictures up on Twitter and everything of the, the, the um, in fact, the last day, the championship round, the first event was knockout. And the second one was a three point shooting competition. Um, and so, Everything we were just talking about, it brings out, and one of the things that I know we still have to work on as a team, it got better, how we compete, how we go about it. So when the, you know, what hits the fan, what are you doing to lead in those moments? Really easy to lead when everything's going well, but what are you doing when the things aren't going well? And so we see a lot of those things and it gives me time to like call timeouts during the middle of the team comps and have like a teachable moment with some guys when I can show them that, Hey, listen, you know, you can't just sit there and, and bellyache at your teammates when a guy's missing an assignment or, you know, maybe they're not running hard enough to get back on defense or something like that. I said, you need to take the time to encourage people and, and to explain to them what their assignment is and, and, you know, how to go about getting back into the mode of competing and not to quit. You know, you get behind and how do you not quit? You know, the, the, the fastest thing that I've seen or the quickest thing I've seen with guys is that they don't hustle anymore. When they feel like the game is lost and it's beyond reach, they stop hustling. They stop trying. They think they are, but you can just see their energy level just goes downhill where the team that's winning, you can always see that they still have that bounce in their step, you know? Um, 
So those are things that that we have pulled from our team comps. And, and I think, again, it, it also carries over to the weight room culture that we have and guys really getting after it. We, we actually had to put the brakes on some of our guys. We were doing three days with our strength coach and some of the guys were doing a fourth and a fifth day, which was fine. But they were they were kind of diverting a little bit from what our, our strength program was. It was almost counterproductive. So we got together. And again, one of the things I said to them was, well, how can you lead in this situation? Okay. And I took the one guy that seemed to be the the driver of the bus. And I said, okay, here's a great opportunity for you. He said, well, coach, are you mad at me? I said, no, I'm not mad at you. You're trying to do more. I just want you to do it in an efficient manner. So I said, here's an opportunity for you to impact all your other teammates. I want you to get with the strength coach. I want you to sit down and I want you to come up with what is that fourth day going to look like? What is that fifth day going to look like? These are what the workouts should look like. And he did and he nice. started to lead, you know, and you started to see the guys transition. You started to see their bodies transforming a little bit here in the offseason. We had, you know, we only had from the beginning of November to the middle of December to really kind of get into the offseason mode in, you know, all together. But you already started to see these guys transforming a little bit. And it's, it's a really cool thing to see. So giving guys that perspective and those opportunities to lead are so important. That's what the team comps do. It's what seven days of service do. And then all the other little things that come up as a coach, you put it in your own mindset. Cause I think some coaches, including myself, your first reaction, when you hear, you know, guys are going off doing their own things, almost going rogue. You're like, well, that's not commitment, right? That's not that you're breaking one of our values. When in fact, what they are trying to do is they're trying to show more commitment to making themselves better. So then you, you look at it differently as a coach and you help frame it differently to help them to lead each other better. Hmm. Oh, it's amazing. Ah, oh, it's great stuff, coach. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. You're throwing all this stuff in. I, I'm for me just trying to wrap my head around it all. How much of the classroom is a part of what you're doing too? You're talking about base room, uh, baseball yeah, wise, just like a, well, even just when you're going over these things, you know, as you're talking about the culture and you're thinking like, is this a is this a a, a daily thing you're getting in the classroom before practice? Are you now still getting the classroom, or is it like how how are you able to to discuss all of these all these things and and get and get people to understand them? Yeah. Yeah. So we did do a few classroom sessions in the fall where we were physically in a classroom and I'm, I'm a big PowerPoint guy. So I have different presentations that I'll show them. Um, but due to COVID and, and there were some other things as we were trying to get acclimated this fall, I, I shouldn't blame this all on COVID. Uh, you know how the mounts split up, right? So we have the ac- academic side on one side of, the, of Route 15, 15. and we've got the yep. athletic side on the other side. So what we honestly started to try to do um, was try to do a little bit more explanation on the, you know, at the field explanation, you know, um, some demonstration, try to talk through some things and then run through some drills. There's no question in my mind we're going to get more to classroom stuff again in the spring. We, we did a, um, our overall team presentation. We we're talking about the culture stuff. In fact, it was our very first team meeting. It's, it was like a 40-minute slide presentation. And I said to them about 30 minutes in, I said, did you guys notice we haven't talked about baseball at all yet? Mm-hmm. And they looked at each other like, yeah, like we weren't expecting this, you know. Um, but we also did one for hitting um, with our hitting system. We'll do, we'll do others. Um, I have a base running one and some, some other things, um, 
punt defenses, relays, stuff like that. We have some of those things. So yesterday, it is very important. We just, I'm trying to figure out how we can do this at the Mount. We're, we're, we're talking about creating a team room um, at the Mount for us to, to use that with on the athletic side. We're also in the process of building, well, not building, it's not, it's not happening. We're in the process of working towards raising the money to build an indoor hitting team facility right behind our first base dugout. When that gets built, it's going to be exactly what you're talking about. I mean, we're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of classroom time. Tim Corbin is probably the guy that I heard that did the, you know, really focuses and, and, and is, is so determined that this is the right way to go. And as a more, I listen to Tim about it, even the most basic stuff, to get guys on the same page before you go on the field and actually try to execute these things is so important. So any coach out there that, that, that could do that. Um, shoot. I, I would, I would say place a lot of value on it get in the classroom, spend that time with your players. It's worth the, you know, I would keep it short, mm-hmm. you know, players attention spans are, are pretty short um, nowadays. I think they've always been, but they're seem like they're getting a little shorter now. 20, 30 minutes, get in there, have conversation, talk, you know, have a couple of points you want to make, then get out on the field and go execute it. I think that's, that's really important to do. Cool. Oh man. So you kind of mentioned a little bit of your hitting stuff. If you want to get on that side, if you want to go on that side of the ball here, um, you know, I know like you really just did, it was amazing and stuff with the culture. And, and like you said, I think that's always the big challenge of that you mentioned is how to make it tangible. How do we make it so we all know what we can, you know, uh, concrete, you know, and it seems like you're just doing a, a great job between the merit system, your days of service, um, you know, and cr- the, the the acronyms making it known. is just part of your daily life. So I think that was the challenge of what I really like to hear of the clarity of of it, where you're making it more tangible, which is which is really I'm sure I'm sure you didn't start there. That's for sure. No. No, not at all. Not at all. This is, again, I also believe in being a lifelong learner, right? Which is why yeah. we're, we do stuff like this and we listen to podcasts and things like that. Cause there's always something that you can, you can learn and improve upon. So, I mean, this is, I'm sure there's going to be other things I'm, I'm going to install or come up with um, at a later time, but no, I mean, Trey, it was, uh, you know, I trudged through it a little bit, especially as a young coach and, you know, you, you, you got your, your, blinders on right and it's just win 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 and a lot of times you forget about the people um and we're we are in a people business um and the more i've been better i can't speak for everybody because i'm just not there's just so many other baseball coaches out there that are better than me they're just a better baseball coach i mean i i i don't hold any grudges on that like i understand that but for me the more i have i have focused on relationships and culture and the X's and O's will take care of themselves. You know, the, the baseball side, I think we're good coaches. I don't mean to say that. I don't think we're good baseball coaches. We are, but they're the more I focus on just the baseball side, I feel like my teams don't improve as much as they do when we focus a lot on the culture side. And even the way we practice Trey, when you, if you come to watch us practice, you'll see a culture in action, you know, um, with the way we go about things. So, um, but yeah, X's and O's are only going to take you so far. And, 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 you know, I always say this, I, I try to, I, I think I say it probably 99% of the time on recruiting visits. If a player doesn't invite me to their wedding when they graduate, I failed that player. That's how I feel. 
I didn't always feel that way. Mm-hmm. I honestly didn't. You know, I didn't even think to feel that way for a long time in my coaching career. But I, that's the way I have felt for a long time now. It's a big time, Coach. Um, when you talk about, like, I guess a practice, so looking at a practice, you know, what would they see? What would you, like, you know, can you give me specific examples of, like you said, the culture in action? Yeah, so it'll start from the very first thing we do. We have a very specific uh, throwing program that we do every day. We do our, our progressions every day, and you will see it in action. You'll see these guys leading each other through each step of that progression, whether it's the, you know, the catchers are a little different than the infielders. The infielders are a little different than the outfielders. Um, the pitchers are, are different than the position players. But you'll see them going through each step of the progression every day and leading each other through that. Um, and not only leading, you know, there may be one infielder that's kind of taking charge of the whole infield group and keeping everybody on the same progression so that, you know, one group's not done, you know, five minutes before the rest of the group kind of thing. But even within that, when they're partnered up, you'll see partners talking to partners about how they're going about things and things we harp on, whether it be with footwork or glove presentation or whatever it may be, um, they're helping each other kind of work through each, each one of those steps from there. Um, you know, we, we, it depends on what the practice is. Typically our practices will have some type of skill breakdown, um, more of a, it, it, it's still group, but it's more individually uh, based, um, whether it be hitting or defensive work uh, or some type of base running. And then at the end of practice, we're always going to try to do something that's going to be up tempo, um, whether it's a BP on the field with base running, um, including live situations, or it could just be a base running drill. Um, we do a base running rotation drill that, you know, one of the things I think our players would tell you is that we don't need to do like, we don't, we don't run fall poles or sprints after practice or anything like we don't have to, they're going to get so much conditioning within the practice that they should be, um, they should be keeping up with their conditioning. Um, no other way to say that. So, um, but that's what it would kind of look like. And, you know, some of the hitting stuff we would do, you know, in our tunnel cages and then some of it may be on the field. There would be, um, you know, we'll do other team drills like we we this one drill that we love it's a very up-tempo drill for pitchers catchers and infielders we call it our three lines of pitchers drill and it basically encompasses bunt coverages uh comebackers covering first base um steals uh tags at bases i mean and it's all happening rapid fire within 15 minutes they're probably getting you know 50 to 75 quality reps within 15 minutes. Um, And, you know, those are the types of things that we like to do. We try to put more into the, the uh, game speed drills um, and then the, um, the individualized drills. Yeah, they're important because we're trying to break stuff down, but, you know, even if, when you look at, at hitting, we started to talk about the hitting system, right? So we, we have what we call swing practice and hitting practice, right? And we think they're two different things. Swing practice is mechanics, how we're going to work through your mechanics of your swing. And then there's hitting practice where we actually have to work through, you know, our bats and how we're going through our different hitting plans, um, our diff- we call them coverages, how we're working through our different coverages um, at the plate. 
Um, and they're very different. You know, you can sit and you can work on your swing all you want. Um, I always, I make this analogy, right? You know, I put aside steroids for a minute. I still think Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter I've ever seen in action. Um, but what would happen if you put a blindfold on Barry Bonds and sent him to the plate? You know, he wouldn't have been so successful. And I think oftentimes he had great mechanics, you know, when, when he, you know, think about the year he hit 73 home runs. I think he walked over 200 times that year. He probably got one pitch to hit every game and mm-hmm. he was so good. Obviously steroids were helping him a little bit, obviously, but he was so good mechanically that he got that one pitch and he didn't miss it. He was mm-hmm. able to barrel the ball up. Right. Um, but your mechanics aren't going to be so good if you don't have a good plan. Like I would rather have a guy that has, you know, um, a slightly above average swing, but really knows how and has discipline and understands how to approach his at bat rather than a guy that has the prettiest swing in the world <coughs> who has no plate discipline, swings at the wrong pitch all the time. Um, I, I would take my chances with the guy that knows how to approach his at bats. So those are things we work on. We work on them um, every day. Every day in practice, there's a component to our practice where we're working on, you know, what what is a pitcher trying to do to get us out? And how do we approach our bat so that we can counter that? And I, I think just from your time at, at URI uh, and knowing there, and then are, as your hit, as the hitting system is it change each year? Or are you really recruiting to the hitting system? Just wondering how how you how you how that has changed through the years. So it definitely has evolved. I mean, the, yeah. the hitting system that we use at URI, there are pieces of it that are still in, and it, it's interesting you even said that too because we were struggling offensively at Marymount a few years ago. Um, we were on our Florida trip and on the day off um, the, the kids all went to the amusement parks and things like that in the Orlando area. And I stayed back at the hotel and I went back and researched through all my stuff on my computer. And I went back to a lot of the URI stuff that was really getting back to basics. And I've made sure that ever since that day that we've kept some of those basics in the system as we've moved forward. Um, just little, really a lot of it, Trey was, was, was founded in timing issues that we were having. And we were trying, what I did to, to, at URI was really simplified a lot of the, a lot of the timing. Um, so that hitters weren't putting themselves in bad positions, um, late, you know, in a pitch. So we've incorporated some of that stuff and then we've, we've really kind of gone, gone a lot further. I mean, there's been so many advances in, biomechanics and the way that, you know, the way the body operates. And so coach Tar is, is outstanding. Our hitting coach, he is really good at teaching movements and coach Moore's really good. Our pitching coach at teaching movements. Um, and so those are things that we, we really kind of focus on. And so when we're looking at hitters and we're looking at guys to recruit, you know, we are watching the way their body, their body works. Um, again, we could have somebody that's maybe a little bit, um, He's not developed physically yet, you know, but you can see that the potential is there um, to get more physical. How's his body movement? And there's I, I, a kid just came to my mind. There's a, a left-handed hitting middle infielder that I saw on video um, just before the Christmas break. And I, and I called over Coach Tar. I'm like, look at this kid. Like, I want you to wrap your brain around what you're watching right now. Like, 
that the way this guy's moving right here, the way he uncoils, the way he is able to leverage into the ground and use his midsection creates so much bat speed with his hands. And he's, he's not a very big kid. I wasn't a very big guy either. I'm still in, I'm not, but I was able to generate a lot of bat speed and hit for power in college at the division one level because I was able to leverage all of that stuff. And I didn't know what I was doing back in the day and nobody taught me that way. And it took me a long time to say, well, what is it that I'm looking for? You can see when somebody has bat speed, right? You can, you can physically just watch that. But how do they create that? And some guys are creating it just because they're stronger and they're a little bit more advanced at the high school level than other guys they're playing against. Whereas other guys, you can see that they have more longevity in their swing, right? They, they have from the ground up able to, to create that energy. Um, and once they put on the strength to go with it, man, there's, there's no stopping that guy. So that's what I'm looking, I'm looking for, you know, body, you know, we, we have certain things like how do the guys, you know, there's the, 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 the the big thing nowadays you hear a lot about, uh, hinging your hips, right. To load. Um, so it's, it's not a common thing that you see in high school hitters, you know, you don't see it a lot. Um, but more so for me is how do they unwind coming through the swing? And if the hips and the lower half are really leading the swing or not. Um, so those are the guys that, that, that I'll really look for. Um, and then the other part of that would be how well they can control the barrel of the bat. And that's, yeah. what, that's what I was thinking like prior to like what you said about taking less of a swing for a guy that more like can hit. How, like, what are you looking for there? Like, how do you see that kind of kid where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not, maybe his hips aren't doing that. But, like, how are you noticing, like, if he's a better hitter than he does have a swing? Yeah, and the other thing, too, with that, yeah, is, okay, so maybe he's not, his hand-eye coordination may be so off the chart. I'll give you a great example. You wanted a name. I'm going to give you a name right now. He's the head coach at Good Council, Tim Park. Do you know Timmy? I don't. Okay, so Timmy played for me at William & Mary. He was an okay. all-American. So he was he was a junior, one of the only junior college transfers, I think, in the in the the seven years that I was at Wayne Mary. We got a few, but he was one of them. Um, and he was an all-America for us. Should have been a draft guy. Still mm -hmm. to this day, he was a little undersized as a catcher, and I think that's why he didn't get drafted. But he was just you can look up his stats when we get off here, and you'll you'll be blown away. His hand-eye coordination was incredible. Would I teach players to try to swing like him? No. Absolutely not. Um, but he, he just, he understood, he was such a smart hitter and his hand eye coordination was so good and his hands were so quick that he was, could be really successful. So when I go out and I watch a high school guy um, or even when we recruited Tim, you know, and I see that there's that potential for that. We also look at it as, okay, is, are there things there that we can correct? Are there things there that we can, can we add value to this guy? Can we help him get to another level? Or is, you know, and if, if he, if it is the answer is yes to that, we look at that guy as a guy that has that higher ceiling, you know, that we can, we can help improve. If it's a guy that we feel like, ah, I don't know that is, you know, it's going to take a lot to maybe get that, to get him to understand some of the movements then maybe we shy away from that guy a little bit, but we, there's no doubt about it. We're, we're, we're gravitating more towards guys that are more physical because we feel like their bodies can, can handle the load that we're going to, we're going to try to put on them. But the guy I was saying earlier, the, the left-handed hitter that I saw recently, he swings like he's probably six to 
200 pounds mm-hmm. and he's probably five, nine, five, 10, 160 pounds. Mm. So, you know, if he can, if he can put on some weight, you know, and do some things and get a little more athletic um, overall, because his body physically can't handle some of the, the load. You can tell, I, I watched him take ground balls too. And you can do, he's a little stiff in some of his actions when he takes ground balls. Um, he's going to be a hell of a player. He's mm-hmm. going to be a really, really good player. So, um, you know, I don't know if he's listening to this podcast, but he's coming to our camp in a few weeks and I'm really excited to work with him. So good. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, I just man, we're here. We are an hour in um, already. Um, I just, I wanted to just give you a chance to like say like, is there is there anything maybe that you like like you can like you wanted to get in the seven days of service? Is there anything you know like in your wheelhouse that you feel like you know you guys are doing these great things that you would like to cover? Um, get into that we haven't yet. Yeah, no, I think we've done a pretty good job of talking and talking through quite a few things here today. Um, I I would just, again, just stress that, um, you know, to anybody that that cares to listen, you know, the more you you, you focus on, you know, creating the culture, whatever it is. And I'm not saying that the way we do it is the right way. It just it's working for us. Um, But come up with something that works for you and then try to. ingrain that in everything you're doing, whether it's what you talked about earlier with classroom sessions to on the field practice, to the way you go about it in games. Um, there are other things that we do. And, and let, let me just say this, since you asked um, a couple of the other things we do for positive reinforcement, we have this other thing called game changers. And this has everything to do with how we're playing the game. It's a style of play on the field. And so there are various categories um, that we're looking to hit. And, and what we have we have found over probably a, a eight year period now is that when we win game changers, um, we usually win the game. It's, it's 99.9% effective that we're going to win the game if we win that category. Um, but alongside that is that when the players are hitting these categories individually, they start earning awards for that. Okay. And how do we do the awards? You know how the Ohio state, uh, football team does the mm. Buckeyes on their helmets. Yeah. So we do stickers for these guys to put on their batting helmets for the position players. And then pitchers, when they hit things, they get rewarded with pitchers batting practice and they love, you know, how pitchers mm-hmm. are right. They, they, oh, yeah. they all think they can hit. Well, they get to take rounds of batting practice as a reward for hitting these different milestones. Um, in addition to that, have you ever read the book? Um, Can't hurt me. David, oh, by David Goggins. David Goggins, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. So you remember the part in that book where he talks about your mental cookie jar? Mm-hmm. When you you accomplish things that you didn't think you could accomplish, you put a cookie in your mental cookie jar. Well, I said, okay, how can we make that tangible? So we created an actual cookie jar. And what we do at the end of every week in the spring, we we get her, we gather around as a team. And we talk about the, the really cool things we did in the past week. It could be during the games. It could be something during practice. It could be someone making one of those positive cultural contributions, whatever it is. Guys nominate, and then they get to write with a blue Sharpie on the cookie and put it in the cookie jar. Well, here's a funny story for you. When we first did this, uh, I think it was 
we've only had the cookie jar now for about four years. So about four years ago, we actually were using Chips Ahoy chocolate chip cookies. The guys were writing on the back of these things and putting them in the cookie jar. We got up to Philadelphia one year to play. Um, I think we were playing Newman. And the, the, we bring the cookie jar physically and put it next to our helmet and bat rack. Uh-huh. So I see it. It's a, it's a symbol of everything that we're capable of doing to remind them, right? I look in the cookie jar before the game, and there's only like two cookies left in there. <laughs> now I'm pissed. I'm like, okay, these guys aren't taking this seriously. So I went over to a couple of our, our pitchers, and I said, okay, I need you to do some recon and find out what happened to the cookies. Well, lo and behold, our bus driver dug into our cookie jar mm. and he started to eat our cookies. And so this guy's going to drive us back five hours to DC after we play a double header and he's eating cookies with blue Sharpie on them. So we're wondering if this guy's poisoned at this point, right? <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So anyways, long story short, <laughs> we have since stopped using real cookies. We use, I go to like Michael's or one of those, you know, uh, art, artsy stores and I yeah. buy these wooden chips that are round that look like cookies and the guys write on those and put them in there. I get <laughs> some that are shaped like baseball, some shaped like stars, whatever. Um, if they're a really big thing that we had happen, like if a guy gets uh, player of the week in the conference, we usually give them like a big cookie so they can write that stuff down and they, they write whatever they want on the cookie and they put the date and then they put it in the cookie jar. I, you know, and then again, there'll be times when we're in the dugout and you'll see our guys will go over, you know, they'll go over and they'll rattle that cookie jar. Yeah. Okay, guys, remember, this is what we're capable of. So, you know, that's another, you know, little thing. I'm always looking for ways to, um, it's funny, right? Sometimes I feel like I've turned into a kindergarten teacher, um, but I'm looking for ways to, to reward because it really does go a long way with these guys. Well, you praise what you want, you know what I mean? You, you praise what you want and that's repeated behavior. You know, repeated yeah. behavior is rewarded behavior and, and, absolutely man it's just that we're all we're all just trying to change behaviors you know it's what you're trying to do from the get-go and you're reinforcing good habits you know and you know like you said from the get-go you know changing the bad habits and changing the shame that they had had and um you know with with and you're encouraging them to do uh the these the the positive things and seeing all and seeing those things because, Oh man, it's just so great. You know, but I love what you said. It's again, the tangible concrete things. That's what I've always been hung up on. I think Brian Kane, like I think he's got a little niche because he Mm -hmm. found the ways to make it tangible. You know, like, yeah, people can say it all the time. It's mental. It's mental. Like, well, what does that mean? It's mental. Like, what does that mean? You know, like what are these behaviors? Yeah. Like, well, how can we make them tangible? I think that's, you've done an awesome job and it's been really great. Great to hear. Um, Really appreciate all the, all the really tangible, great stuff, man. The cookie jar that was really great. Oh, oh, real quick about the game changers. Am I wrapping things up here? I want to respect your time. But game changers, can you give us a specific example of a game changer? Are you talking about like maybe like a dive and play like late to get a guy? Got you coming? You bring a guy on like let's say late in the game, he gets a big strikeout, like those kind of things. So yeah, it's it's things that we feel like will change the game, right? That that can that can. Change the course of the game, change momentum. So any two strike hit, two out RBIs, um, home runs are on there. Um, lead off, the leadoff guy getting on in an inning. For pitchers, you keep the leadoff batter off. Um, pitchers, um, 15 or less pitch in, pitches in an inning. Uh, one, two, three innings. Um, 
inherited runners for relief pitchers, keeping inherited runners from scoring, stuff like that. Um, uh, head turning plays so or plus defensive play, any plus defensive play, um, things like that. I'm, I haven't given you every category, but yeah, so those evolve too, Trey, by the way. Yeah. And I think for any coach, whatever you deem important for your team to help, um, you know, like I said, create momentum, change momentum, whatever it is. I think those are, are things important. And here's another one, base hit punts. Anytime a guy reaches base on a base hit punt, anytime he gets hit by a pitch. Um, so again, you're encouraging, it's a cultural thing, right? So instead of trying to jump out of the way of a pitch, are you going to wear the pitch to help your team win? Things like that. So those are the things that that uh, we deem important and, and we, re- we reward our guys for it. And so then, I, then am I understanding it like so? You just basically have a running list of all these things, and you just kind of have a big total number at the end of the game. Yes. Of yes. All and the we game changers. So like you could be like thirty. Is like do you have a goal or you just no. say hey we're just we're just try to get the many game changers as we can. Just as many as you can, and we chart it for the opposing team too. So we do uh, it. So you win the game changer wars, basically what it is. Exactly, exactly. So we we chart it individually for all of our guys yeah. for each one of our players, and then have a team total at the end. And then for the other team, we just chart each category in total for them, not not by player. Um, and then their whatever their total is. So if we win that that battle, like you said, then. You know, we've won the game changers for that game. And then on top of that, I also give them the helmet stickers and the batting practice for the different milestones. I think for every five game changers, they get a helmet sticker. Okay. Yeah. And for like every five, uh, I think it's for every 10 points for the pitchers, they earn a round of batting practice. Very cool. Yeah, a lot of management, a lot of time in the Excel spreadsheets at night after, yeah, after oh yeah. games at practice, coach. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. No <laughs> doubt. Loving, about it. loving the Excels, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. I'm trying to, I'm trying to streamline it a little bit. I've got you know a couple of injured players, and I, I, you know, we do these other. So everybody does QPAs too, right? Or uh, quabs. Ours is called QPAs, and 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 for us, you know, we've 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 got different categories, and we track hard hit balls and all that. Um, but I have, I actually created, was able to figure out through a good friend of mine who used to be one of my assistant coaches. He told me that he created an app through Excel, which actually tabulates all this stuff and spits it out for you in another sheet. And um, he gave me the basics, and I went, and I I haven't gotten as sophisticated as he has with it but I've figured out a way to do it and we did it all fall. Um, and it did, it saved a lot of time, it saved an awful lot of time. Have you looked into, uh, Sheehan's John Sheehan's, uh, uh, hitting approach app? No, I haven't. Oh yeah. Cause that's, it'll that's bring not. in all of those things and it'll bring in all of those things and it will, uh, be swing decisions, but then also it will, it, it actually says quality plate appearance. And at the end of the game, the kids go in there and they have to click on the things to, if it was a quality plate appearance with the pitches and do it. It's, and basically do what you're saying. So then he can go in there and then he gets a coach's report and he can go in there and talk to them about their bats and what they'd sell and, and this and that. So, yeah, that would be a, a, a really good, great um, thing to look into. It's really good. And it's $250, I think, for the team. It's awesome. That's it. It's really good. Um, and Sheehan, you know, being the, the hitting guy that he is, um, is all behind it and helped. He had another guy created. It, so it's awesome. So I think if that's what you're looking for, uh, it sounds like that's what, 
what it is. And that will help, I guess, eliminate the QPA stuff that you do. You're, you're, the game changer stuff will still be yours yeah. that you'll have to do. But at least that could take off your plate um, with the QPA stuff. And the kids actually then get also reported at the end. They have to go and they can do it right on their phone, finish that up. And then, um, yeah, super yeah, I'm, I'm I'm taking it to the summer when I go and and just trying to learn learn from that. I'm doing it. So, so you're, you're talking about Coach Sheen at Millersville, right? Yes, Coach yeah. John Sheen from Millersville. Yeah, yeah, you're great, dude. He beat um, me to the punch. I was going to try to create an app someday. He beat me to the punch. Literally. Yeah, he just got yeah. it, and then they're they're looking into going to go to go into pitching and and everything. Right now, it's just hitting. Um, and you know he's trying to. He basically wants to eliminate all his charts is basically, yeah. you know, kind of like you said, you're just trying to find some way of, can I, how can I eliminate that time after the game? You know, like, like all you're doing, I guess, like I said, like in back of my mind, when I'm hearing you say these things too, as a coach, I'm like, and like, all right, then I'm going to like, that's great. And then I'm like, I got to go back home and get these things done. Like I'm, I got to tabulate all these things, make sure I'm all right. You know, and it's great. Like you said, you have good assistants that really do that. Cause I know how extremely valuable that has to be for you. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah, it so, does. It does. I will just say this. It does help me to kind of uh, put a bow on top of the game at the end of the day. It gives me a chance to analyze it by looking at some of these key things where I think are important and, and where we're where we can make improvements. So I'll just leave mm -hmm. it at that. Coach, what's the best way for guys to get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing or maybe reach out to you about? you know, the merit system and th something like that. Yeah. Anybody can email me at any point. My email address is uh, F as in Frank dot D as in David dot Leone, L E O N I at M S Mary dot edu. Fantastic. And now uh, you, you talk about Twitter too. What, what is your guys' Twitter handle you'd like to follow? So my personal Twitter handle or my coaching Twitter handle is at coach Leone. And then we are the, the team's Twitter is at MS I'm trying to think now MSM underscore BSB, I believe is what it is. At MSM underscore BSB. Yeah. Very cool. Well, coach, I appreciate it, man. It was awesome. 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 I appreciate you, Trey. And I uh, hope everybody has a, a great rest of their holiday season. This was awesome. Thank you. Great stuff by Coach Leone. I just want to thank him and also want to thank our sponsor, Netting Professionals. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Professionals specialize in design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Again, thank you to Will Meyer. Thank you to the guys at Netting Pros. Love being part of the family. Coach Leone with some great stuff. Um, and, uh, about his merit system, diving into specifics of the merit system, how to get points, earn points, made to be at least a seven to even participate. Um, uh, his core values versus his core, prin his core team cr principles and how those came about. 
and how those behaviors are really reflecting within the action statements, process before results, quality over quality, everything with a purpose, and always competing. Uh, that's what his program is about, what he's about. And as he knows, he's, he's, you can hear, hear that he says, if we get better as a person, the results will come. An overall theme is servant leadership, is they have a servant mentality, they're bringing in their community service. And and putting kids in situations to plan and organize those, which I thought was interesting. And yes, that's all college students, and would people have to monitor that from a lower levels? Absolutely, but at least that gives you that's the idea of how can we do that, and that's great, but put that into what we did. Because as Coach said, it's a matter of what each of us deem important, what each of us do things, and how we can create these things for us, make them part of who we are, and, but Coach really just gave us some great ideas, great great uh, information, and I really appreciate him. I really appreciate you guys for listening, hanging on with us, and I hope you enjoyed Frank Leone from Mount St. Mary's. Contact him. Again, his email, send his email, f.d.leone at msmary.edu. Follow on Twitter, at Coach Leone, or at msm underscore bsb for their Mount St. Mary's Twitter handle. So... Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Netting pros, thank you, guys. And until next week, keep getting better.